Hello and welcome to the MDDDS podcast. This is Dr. Kyle Fagelin. We're excited to have you back with us. Uh, we are continuing with our gospel series. Uh, what we've done the last couple weeks, we started with a question of who is God. And the take-home point was that God's essential character is both holy and loving. Then we asked this question of who am I? And we established that we are sinners separated from a holy God. And then this week we're going to look at this question of who is Jesus? And so uh, the take-home point is that God's love sent Jesus to the cross, satisfying the wrath of God. As forgiven sinners, we can now be in the presence of a holy God. Uh, so we're just going to jump right into that. We've got a good group tonight. Really grateful for everyone who's here. Um, and so that was a pretty good intro, right? It was not bad. Okay. Um, so if you're out there listening, come see us. We'd love to spend time with you. Um, but we're going to kind of go back to this Romans verse. On so Romans 3, 2, it says that, uh, we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And so this is actually kind of like what you talked about, David, on, on Sunday, right? That we are saved by grace through faith um, in Christ. Did I say that right? That's right. We're justified by grace through faith in Christ. Yeah. Right? All right. So that's like a big kind of statement of the Protestant Reformation and, uh, you know, like the Sola stuff, right? And so... That's cool. Um, all right, so let's jump into kind of this first part. I will say that this night I went through it. I made sure the Bible verses were all kind of what they were supposed to be. And as you can tell, we've got more than we've ever had before, which is it's great. There's a lot of really awesome Bible verses in this one. I think it kind of acts as like a really good resource that you can go back to. And just if you're studying um, the gospel with someone, I think it's a good place to start. Uh, it came up to me, this idea, just this, this week, this um, Qureshi that passed away. Yeah. Did anyone read about that? Mm-hmm. Nabil Qureshi? Yeah, Nabil Qureshi passed away. Really? Yeah, so he was 34. He had like a year or a little bit longer fight with liver cancer. And so he had written this book as a Muslim who had then become a Christian. And uh, it's just a sad situation. It's one of these questions, or one of these situations where you kind of ask this question of why did that have to happen? And what purpose is, is there in that? Is this really, how could this be God's will? And, and things like that. Um, but the turning point in his life was him having interaction with a Christian who actually could support their faith, who could actually say, well, this is why I believe what I believe, and could actually then in return ask questions of Islam and say, well, why do you believe what you believe? And the, the conversation I was having last night about that was is that it would surprise me that if you took 10 Christians that more than one or two would be able to do that. And not even just would be able to, but would be willing to do that. So if you had like a you know, Muslim friend or or whatever, an atheist friend, or whatever, that would kind of kind of question you on your faith. Like, well, how do you believe that, you know, God created all this, or that whatever the question is, or how can good things happen, or how can bad things happen to good people, and, you know, like, all those kind of questions that people go to. Um, and usually when those things kind of come up is maybe you give kind of like sort of an answer, but you don't really, like, take the effort to really get into it. And a lot of times what you hear people say is like, well, we'll just agree to disagree, or, well, we'll talk about it later. Let's get together sometime and study it, but you never do. Um... And so I think most of that comes from an awareness that we don't really know enough to like boldly proclaim it. Whereas if someone like said, you know, if you're a huge Harry Potter fan and they're like, I hate those movies, like I think they're just stupid. And you were a big enough fan, you'd be like, nope, they're great movies and here's why they're great movies. And you would start listening out and you'd say, and the books are even better and here's the, the reason why the books are good and I love these characters and I love the, you know, like, we should be able to do that with the gospel. Like we should be able to like sit down with anyone at any point and say, "This is why I believe what I believe. Here's why you should believe it." And then, if it becomes a little d- deeper study, you can sit down with someone like this and kind of walk them through it. You know, so 
that's kind of why we have this. And so that was just really on my mind. And I hope that in his death at such a young age that it spurs other people to, to, to study his life and, and to do similarly um, and, to, and to learn these things. And I hope that's what will be the outcome of that. So, all right. So let's jump in. There will be a lot of reading. Just do your best to read it loud and proud. If you're not comfortable reading, just touch the person next to you. But you all read last week, so you got to read this week. Um, okay, so his life displays the righteousness of God. This is Jesus' life. So we're going to look at a few verses that, that kind of tell that story. So I'll start with First Peter 2.22, and this is of Jesus. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. All right, and then Anna, Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Okay, great. All right, and then we'll just kind of go down the line. So Jesus fulfills the law that we have all broken. It's Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Okay. And then Romans 8, 3 through 4. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Okay. So, I mean, I, some of this stuff is, you know, things that we've kind of grown up with our whole lives, but like when we think about the law. I mean, there's a lot that could be said about what that meant to Jewish people, to the Israelites, and kind of the statements that, that Jesus makes is that, you know, this is probably in a conversation, I guess Matthew 5 would have been a sermon on the mount, but just kind of ongoing conversation he had with uh, Jewish leaders that obviously they loved the law and they loved the prophets. Jews, just in a general sense, they were really uh, fans of those things, right? Um, and so he's saying he's not come to abolish it, but as we kind of see here, is the law was not sufficient. So the law in and of itself was not a sufficient means by which people could be justified. And so he's not come to abolish it or get rid of it, but just to fulfill it. Um, and so it is because of his actions that we could be made righteous. So there's a requirement of the law, um, and that it is through him that uh, we can meet that requirement. So we'll kind of get into what that means, I guess. Um, all right, so Jesus is fully God. We've got two verses about that. So John 1, 1 through 14. This is a long one. Sorry, Ryan. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All right, so the, those are some of the best verses in the Bible. Um, I love kind of the poetry of the opening of John. And we could spend a whole night talking about John 1. We actually will. We actually will. So there you go. It's <laughs> prophetic almost. Um, but just this idea, uh, you know, that in the Greek world, kind of their understanding of what the word was and their concept of kind of, you know, past eternal existence, that, that Jesus was that. So that Jesus was, in a sense, the word through which all things were breathed into life. And so when we talk about Jesus being fully God, he and God are the same, and they have been around forever. So just sort of establishing that in the way that is done so beautifully here, that he was with God in the beginning, that he was God and all that. In him is all life. I mean, all light. I mean, it, there's just some awesome stuff. I know we just read it, but all right. And then a very short verse, so you got lucky there. Uh, Colossians 2.9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Okay, so pretty clear cut there. Uh, so in addition, though, to being fully God, he's also fully man. So Hebrews four fifteen through 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have the one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that, may, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Okay. And then 1 John 4, 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Okay. All right, so I guess just like <coughs> some just quick discussion on kind of these ideas. And David, I may kind of lean on you just a little bit here, but obviously that's there's a lot to what was just said. <laughs> so... Um, I guess the question of it, is it unique to have a religion where you have a central character that's both God and man at the same time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely unique. So uh, this is one of like the distinguishing ideas of Christianity. So our friends in other religions, a lot of whom we are friends with, you know, respect them and appreciate their faith. But one of the things that's different is that every other religion asks the question, how do you get to God, right? So um, we got a real good friend that's a Sikh that we just went on this. Uh, <clears throat> I just went on this trip up to Minnesota with. We're at a conference together, and he was explaining like the stages and the things that he's got to do to get to God. And so that's true in his religion. Also true in Islam. That's the question of Islam: How do you get to God? It's a question of Buddhism: How do you get to God? It's really a question in like um, paganism or atheism: Like how do you become the best? How do you you know become your own God, so to speak. But the question of Christianity is not how do you get to God, it's how God came to us, right? And so there's just this radical idea that God became a man and came for us. And um, mm. I think showing that that's true is kind of a different question, but showing that it's unique, it's not hard to do at all. It's absolutely a radical and unique idea. And it's why, you know, we say like the gospel you miss in youth group. It's important we understand what Christianity is teaching and kind of how radical and big that it is. So what we're saying is that the full image of God was manifest in Jesus Christ, who was also fully man. So Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that's what that's what the incarnation is. So around Christmas, we'll do three weeks on the incarnation. I think really celebrate Christmas in a theologically significant way. I think it'll be a special time together. But that's what 
that's what that doctrine is. It's easy to kind of water that down a little bit. You know, we either make God too human, you know, and kind of forget, like like Colossians 1, Jesus created the universe. You know, he's not like, um, you know, the wandering wise man in the desert, you know, just like the hip, hippie Jesus. You know, he created the universe. Or we can kind of make him too removed. He is God, but he's not, you know, our friend. He's both. So I probably said too much. but That no, was great. It was really good. That's why I asked you. That was great. Um, okay, so we've been talking. I think we've now, since we did an intro to this, did we do an intro week for this? No. No. Okay, well, we did. But we've talked about it two weeks in a row, about what's called the tension of the gospel. And so kind of going back to last week, the tension of the gospel is this question of how can holiness and love, justice and grace come together in God? And so you know, how can God love us when we deserve his judgment? So we've talked about that enough. I think we, we get that idea. Um, and the answer is here, and so I think y'all have probably known the answer, but we're going to go into detail, and if maybe some of these details you don't know, we're about to get them. So, uh, first blank, God's love sent Jesus to the cross. So John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then... So God's love sent Jesus to the cross, mm-hmm. satisfying the wrath of God. So Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed before him unpunished. Okay, so that satisfies the wrath of God, and that's for our benefit. All right, so then we'll get into this little section. But as forgiven sinners, we can now be in the presence of holy God. So without an atonement that satisfies the wrath of God, we could not be in the presence of a holy God. And so let's look at, I kind of like the way this is split up. We have an Old Testament verse. We have kind of a, a middle New Testament verse. And then we have kind of in Revelation where we, we look at kind of the end of things. But we'll start with Leviticus 16, 15 through 16. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is through the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Okay, so just for kind of reference sake and so that you kind of understand the context, and you tell me where I'm wrong, but in terms of putting the blood as sort of a sin offering, is this something that they did once a year? Is this something they did multiple times a year? So I, I think this particular example is talking about the Day of Atonement, which was a, a once a year deal. Yeah. Um, so what they're literally doing is having to use blood, and obviously they would sacrifice animals even more often than that, but is a, is a sin atonement. Uh, and so there's sort of this idea, too, that if you look at it like, like visually, let's say, is, is that, that the smoke that would come up from the animal would kind of go up to God and, and would make things right, I guess. Um, now we don't really have this separation between us and God that they had. Um, and so, yeah, God was in the holy place and all that sort of thing. But there's this idea that with that atonement, you know, that it kind of connects you to God. Now we have this spirit that connects us directly. So we don't need that kind of vertical. It's we're 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 with with God in that sense. 
Um, so anyway, so that was what they used to have to do. Obviously, we've already alluded to this. That that's sort of a, a broken system. That's like you have a, a issue with your um, car and you just kind of like duct tape it. You know, you're not you're not going to be able to fix it long term. So then we have now in Hebrews 9, 24 through 28, what the solution is. And that's me. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place, every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all the uh, culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take the sins of many, to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That's a great group of verses. And then kind of on further into uh, Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Yeah. So we sort of get like our you know, past, present, and future with those three verses, or those three groups of verses. And I have a feeling that Revelation 21 will come back when we get to our last part of the series, which is its death at the end. Um, and so, a little spoiler alert, I guess. Um, so, moving on to B. The cup of God's wrath was thrust on Jesus in our place. And so, Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So kind of that famous scene, I guess that's in, in the garden, just asking for that to be taken away from him. Which is like, one of the interesting things about Jesus is just that he, in being man, he had to deal with that sense of, it's, it's unjust, it's unfair, and it's going to be a terrible thing to have to deal with. Um, if you were just God, let's say, it would just be kind of one of those things you'd go through, but that he had to suffer for something that he didn't deserve, uh, it's, just, it's just tough. Obviously, you struggle with it. All right, so Isaiah 51, 17, and 22. Awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, you who have drained to its dregs the goblet that makes people stagger. This is what your Lord, this is what your sovereign Lord says, your God, who defends his people. See, I have taken out of your hand the cup that made you stagger. From that cup, the goblet of my wrath, you will never drink again. All right, and then on into Revelation 16, 19. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Okay, so this whole, like, cup of wrath and God's wrath, and these are obviously, like, figures that are being used here. Um, but I guess, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but... You know, Babylon being kind of the code word for Rome and, and, um, and Revelation, but, you know, 
just in a general sense, just refers to any great civilization that turns away from God and that sins, um, whatever their idols may or may not be. But just the idea that the the way that it's described, especially in the Old Testament, is that there's this like big cup of wrath that's like just going to pour over these people and destroy them, right? And so, in some sense, maybe an allusion to like the flood and just just the idea that like what is just is for all these people to just be destroyed. Um, and that was kind of what was said between God and Noah was this idea that what's right is they be destroyed. Same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, what's right is they be destroyed. And find me, you know, 20 righteous men, or find me 10, or whatever it was. And the truth is, is there's, there's in all the situations, there's none that are righteous. You know, that's kind of the point. Um, and that, that Jesus takes that cup, this huge cup that could destroy us all, that could, could flood us all, and he, and he takes it, which is pretty awesome. All right, so then C, the gospel is a picture of Jesus taking the cup of God's wrath and drinking every single last drop. John 19, 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So what's cool about that verse is I, I have never, when I've heard that story of the crucifixion, and he takes the drink from the sponge or whatever, I've never made that connection to these Old Testament verses or these figures of the cup, I've never made that connection. Um, I know there's another verse that maybe likens it to that he'll he'll be thirsty and, you know, whatever that, that other verse is, like to like Isaiah or something. But anyway, sorry, I'm really grasping at straws. Um, do you think that's a direct though, connection there about in terms of drinking God's wrath and taking the cup and that of him eating that drink on the cross? I think probably. I think there's some like, poetic symmetry there. And definitely part of what's going on here is, um, like, what is Jesus so terrified of, right? So I think it's kind of strange. See, when we talk about Jesus, like, fully God, it's so like, why is he, like, in the garden crying and, like, sweating blood? And, um, a, a, like, an interesting way to pose the question I didn't come up with, but I think it's interesting. So there are Christians who have suffered maybe physically more than Jesus has for their faith. I think you could argue that. Like, so there's some Christians who have had like their, like their skin peeled off and remained faithful. And like, like there's was one story, this guy, like, and he had his skin peeled off and he like sang the whole time it was happening. There are people who have endured unbelievable physical suffering and were martyred that way. And so then the question is, well, so are you saying that like Jesus was more scared than they were? What is it? Is, was Jesus scared of crucifixion? Was that the big thing? And I think the answer is no. What he was so, what was so like um, troubling to his soul was the wrath, the cup of God's wrath. So that's that's why when he falls on the face, he's like, "Take this cup from me." Right. So what 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 was so terrifying was the wrath that was due us was going to be given to him. And so that's where I think all this like. You, we have to understand Jesus in context. Like Jesus was a Jew, and so all the Old Testament prophecies and Jesus' understanding of himself and how that plays into what happened at Calvary and then will culminate in what happens in new heavens and new earth when, when we, we drink the cup together. I think I do think all that's intentional. And, um, I think a verse like John 19.30, I think there is some kind of like mystery in the way that the Holy Spirit is inspired writers record what historically happened. I, I don't think it's an accident. I mean, I can't prove this, but I don't think it's an accident. The verse says, like, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. So, literally, like, the Apostle John is referring to the drink they gave him on the stick. It was like wine and vinegar mixed, but 
I think it, I think it's possible there's something more going on there. Yeah. It's great. You're on fire tonight, Dave. Good job. Uh, all right, and then Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? That's sort of the, the tension of the gospel kind of summary there. Okay, so that was awesome. And then we'll move on to three, and we have the resurrection demonstrates the power of God. And so, uh, you know, it's, again, we're asking this question of who is Jesus. And it's important to kind of note that, and this is obvious to us, but if all Jesus did was, on our behalf, died on the cross, and that was it, there's not really any power in that, right? If that, if that had been God's like method, okay, but like it, it doesn't have like it's sort of doesn't have an ending, right? It's like an author who dies before they finish a book. It's it's, uh, you know. So if he just stayed in the grave, it would have meant nothing. So the resurrection is what all it all hinges on, you know, multiple things in Jesus' life, but definitely the resurrection that he comes back. So the resurrection demonstrates the power of God and His control over you know everything. Colossians 2, 12-13, the last verse tonight. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Right. And so, I guess I would say that regardless of kind of what your exact belief is on baptism... There's no doubt that there are multiple allusions made to the fact that in baptism we, we die, we're buried, and then we're raised to walk in newness of life, just as Jesus did. And so, you know, I've heard people that, that don't believe it's when you're saved at least kind of can see, well, it is a beautiful picture of the life of Jesus, right? And so it, this is not here to argue kind of what it is and isn't and, you know, use proof texts and things, but... At the absolute very least, baptism is a very beautiful picture of the same thing that Jesus went through, right? Um, and, I, and I think that there's there's a reason why we're called to that. And the reason why it comes up, and I think, you know, like Romans 6, really beautiful picture of, of baptism and those themes and those ideas. Um, and just this idea that Jesus is victorious over the sin, uh, death, and the grave, all right? And so he sort of destroys sin on the cross, he destroys death by resurrecting, right? And so he overcomes both of those things. He effectively eliminates the wrath of God, and also he effectively shows power and dominion over the earth and the power of the grave, and even, I guess, squashes the head of Satan, too, in effect. So uh, just a lot going on there. All right, so this is the gospel. So this is kind of it, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in response to the tension between holy God and sinful man. All right, so in that one statement, we've sort of summarized what we've done the last three weeks. Uh, we've studied the, now the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who he is, and then that fixes the tension that existed between the holy God that we studied and the sinful man that we studied last week. Okay, So, pretty good stuff. Some of these verses are just excellent. The Hebrews 9, 111. Um, David, I'm going to let you, because in truth, this is really David's kind of bread and butter. This is like this is like your thing. I feel like you've gotten a chance to teach on this multiple times, and you really understand it really well. I guess any sort of like kind of parting statements, then we'll, we'll go ahead and turn this off and, and discuss a little bit. But No, I mean, I don't want, I'm not, you know, I'm not an expert.
expert. I'm not, I'm no theologian or whatever, but I am somebody that, you know, it's, it's, I'm putting all my cards on this truth. You know, this, the gospel, that's what, that's everything. You know, that's what my, I want our life should be about. So um, I think, I just maybe we'll just back up what Kyle said at the beginning. is like we ought to, if it's as important to us as it, we say it is as Christians, we ought to know it. And then I think there's incredible implications behind. So if it, Jesus really is who he says he is, and he really did what he says he's done, I think there's huge implications for how we live and um, what we share with our friends, especially our non-Christian friends. We want them to know this gospel. Not because we think um, that somehow we live a more moral life and we're better people than non-Christians. That's not it at all. It's that if this is really true, um, I don't think there's anything better that could happen in your life than to know it and believe it. Because if this is true, then it's a truth that will matter 10 billion years from now. You know, uh, 10 billion years from now, you know, whatever's going on with cavities or heart, you know, we're going to have all that fixed. But this is still going to be true. And so uh, there's nothing more important than this. Mm-hmm. That was great. Okay, well, let's go ahead and turn this off and we will uh, maybe have a little bit of discussion. And All right, so thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, if you're listening out there, we had a great meeting on this topic of <clears throat> who is Jesus. And we had a little bit of discussion, as we always do after we turn off the podcast. I just want to summarize some of that real quickly, and then uh, we'll, we'll let you go. And of course, we'd love for you to come join us in person Monday nights, 7 p.m. in our house in Germantown. First thing we talked about was this, uh, this tension that exists between you know, God, or sorry, I should say Jesus, both fully man, fully God, and how he feared the wrath of God. Just kind of discussing, you know, just, I don't know if tension is the right word, but just, just that question of, well, why, if he were, was God, did he fear the wrath of God? But I think it's because he really fully understood what that was. Um, I think there was also an element of, of Jesus uh, as God's son, you know, feeling sort of rejected on the cross, and the idea that, that God turned his face away from Jesus. Um, obviously, he you know, didn't want to have to go through the suffering that exist on, existed on the cross, but I think also, maybe more so, just the awareness of what it was uh, you know, cosmically that he was going through, taking on that wrath. Um, so, a lot of discussion there, said better than I said it, I'm sure. Uh, the next thing we discussed was do we understand what the wrath of God is? Are we, are we properly afraid or scared of the wrath of God? Do we even, even do we consider the wrath of God? Uh, David was talking about how there's you know, a song that has the word wrath in it, I think Rock of Ages, and how some songbooks take that word out because it's a word that makes people uncomfortable and has made them uncomfortable and not something that we like to think about perhaps as Christians. And, and yet, it's a very real thing. It's a thing that we all deserve and that cup is something that Jesus took for us. He drank every drop of that wrath that we ourselves deserve. Um, and then also we, uh, we talked lastly about this idea, and Ryan brought this up, that if, if God lives in us now, then heaven is here now in some sense. That's a really deep theological discussion, but um, the kingdom, another way of saying that, the kingdom of God is here now. We are citizens of that kingdom even today. And so another way of looking at this uh, is this idea that, that heaven uh, it is already, but it's not yet. Um, and so there is, there's more of heaven to come. There's more of the kingdom of God to come. But as I said, it's not the sort of thing where we, we get our membership card into heaven just on the day uh, you know, of judgment. It was, we walk into heaven, we 
that's the first glimpse we have of heaven. That's the first uh, time that we become a citizen in the kingdom of God. That is, exists now. Of course, it's in part. You know, we only reflect God in part, and someday we'll be glorified to be like Him. But uh, those are concepts that we need to be aware of. And so we need to on, not only live for tomorrow or somewhere down the line, we need to live today as well. So a lot more discussion that was great. There's a lot more that could be said. We'll be back together next week, next Monday, and we've got two more lessons with this gospel series. Next week we're going to study uh, what is faith, and then the last one and on October 2nd will be Is Death the End? So if you have any feedback for us, find us on Facebook, the MDDDS. There's a private form. There's also a public page where you can reach out to me, Kyle Fagala. We'll be happy to, to walk you through how to get to our home. We'd be happy to welcome you here on a Monday night. So hope you're having a great week. Hope God blesses you this week. Good luck with all your studies and everything you're going through this week, and we'll see you soon. Thanks.